say it's his fault, so please blame him at the church meeting later. Some of you are looking at me very seriously. Um, that's all not true. So um, we've got to speak about healing today, and then we're going to do some healing, or we're going to do some praying for healing. And I asked the guys here whether they had some oil already present, and if not, I would bring some. So this is how much we've got. It's a little small. I normally bring a bottle of rapeseed, you know, kind of like this size. Um, extra virgin, I always think that works best. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're going to be using this because it's specially scented, because it's really posh. This is posh stuff, um, so it probably works even better, even though we haven't got very much of it. So anyway, we'll come to that at the end. Cool. The first time I kind of got into believing that God healed today, I'd been a Christian quite a few years, and I'd been going to a church a bit like this, well, not quite like this, because you lot do believe that God heals, but there's quite a lot of churches around at the time when I was a teenager who believed that God did healing in the past as an illustration so that we would believe today. Exactly what we were meant to believe today, I'm not sure, apart from that we were meant to believe, so we believed. And I went along to all sorts of things and persuaded people to believe and give their lives to Jesus. And then I went on this training course with an organization called Youth for Christ. And one of these chaps stood up and said, I used to believe that God didn't heal, but I'm now going to do a Bible study to tell you that the stuff we're meant to believe is that God does stuff because God's alive rather than dead. And then he went through the Bible. It was really quite detailed because he was dealing with people who'd come from the same background as me. And he basically explained that he himself, hadn't read the Bible quite a few times, had begun to realize that what he'd been taught about God moving and doing things wasn't that God did stuff in the past. He does stuff today because God's just as alive today as he was then and will be forever. So he went through all of this stuff, and we all thought, well, that's a very good talk. What a good talk. Then he said, shall we do some? And we all looked at him and went, um... What do we do to do some? Because still somewhere in our brains it was that if healing happens, God does it and not us. Which is true, but it does appear in the scripture that somebody human has to, be get, has to get involved. And so this is where he then went through, well, let's do what God told us to do, which is to pray for people to be healed, and a few other things which I'll come to in a moment. And uh, I remember at the end of this, at the beginning of it, he said, well, let's do something you can all understand. And he said, who here has a bad back? Now, I had a bad back, but I was one of these people. I don't know about you, but I had a bad back. And he said, who here has a bad back? So I thought, it's not me. But there were a couple of people who had bad backs in the room. And they were bad backs because they were just slightly twisted or because they'd been doing a computer thing for hours and hours and hours. And they were tired and all that kind of thing. He said, well, sit down here. Let's find out if you've twisted your back or twisted the bottom of your back. And we do that by lifting your legs. And if your legs are slightly different lengths, it's normally because you twisted your back. Or if your arms are slightly different like this, it's probably because... You... And then he just said, in the name of Jesus, I command the back to straighten. Or I command that this leg to move forward, that one to move back. And weirdly, people got healed instantly. Which we all went, wow! Have you ever been there? To the wow moment where you go, Wow! And he said, I didn't believe that God did this kind of thing in the past, but in the name of Jesus, I believe he does. And then we had a bit of time of worship, and then he pointed at me, who he didn't know, and said, and God is healing your back now too. 
and I was instantly healed. I was the, I'd been the kind of person who'd had to sleep on the floor night after night after night after night before that. And he just pointed at me, and I went, and I felt this kind of whoosh, and my back was healed. Hasn't been like that ever since. Weird moment at which I went, oh, maybe God does heal, like you do. That was a long time ago. I was about 19 at the time. And since then, uh, the subject of healing has become complicated. And that's partly because I'm a preacher and I have to actually be able to do talks on it. Uh, But I don't think it is complicated. I think that God loves to do it, which is why we're looking at this particular passage. Because one of the things which I've discovered among Christians is this whole business of willingness of God. So I'm going to pray and say, if God's willing, he will heal. And if he's not willing, then he won't heal. But it's not my prayer's fault. Well, actually, it possibly could be your prayer's fault. And that's one of the big problems with healing, is it could actually be partly down to us. Silence in the room. Great. Okay, so let's have a look at um, Mark chapter 1 and this wonderful passage about the man with leprosy. And in the bit that Andy read you is the controversy. Do you notice the controversy? Some of you will have read this passage millions of times, but for some reason, the newest translation of the NIV, they have actually changed something quite significant. Can anybody tell me what it is? Because it's a translation, so the Greek hasn't changed. Um, But the, the translation, yes, He was indignant. Absolutely right. And what did it say before? Right. So, the the AV, the old one, you know, the one that was good enough for Paul, so it's good enough for us, um, which is the translation taken back in 1660 and all the other, that translation, which is almost incomprehensible today if you try and read it, because it has too many these and thous and ths at the end of words, Uh, But that one, they translated this into Jesus moved with compassion. So this is what happens. Man stands in the road in front of Jesus as Jesus is walking along. The man has leprosy. Leprosy is highly infectious, highly infectious. Nobody knows what infectious means. What they think then it means is that you get a demon attaching themselves to you, which it could be. Uh, But that also happens to have a highly infectious disease. Man stands in the throat, and he had, before that, he'd have been having to ring a bell and say, unclean, unclean, and would have had to be separated from everybody else. So here's Jesus with the apostles, walking down the road, and in front of him, anybody want to behave like the leper? Oh, no, maybe not. Um, uh, so you're standing in front of, he's standing in front of Jesus, and standing in the middle of the road. So Jesus and the apostles stop. It doesn't say this, but I suspect the apostles took a couple of paces back. And there's Jesus standing there. And then the man says, if you are willing, or if thou wilt, if it was the old one, uh, if you're willing, you can clean me. So he's been having to ring a bell saying unclean, unclean, because he's got this leprosy. And everybody knows that if you spend too much time touching lepers, you get leprosy yourself. So here's Jesus. Jesus, it then says, is moved in some way. Now the The Greek word basically means his gut went. That's what it means. So it's been translated, moved with compassion. The most important thing is moved. He had a movement. 
Now, exactly what he did, one's not sure. Maybe, you know, but the point is it's more to do with a reaction of his, even his physical body to the word, if you're willing, you can make me clean, than anything else. Now, some people think that what that means is God in Jesus went, oh, which is moved with compassion. But not just moved kind of in your head, not a little bit of sympathy, but somewhere deep down went, Other people even got as far as looking at that word and discovering that almost every other place it's used in Greek literature, it's used to mean angry. Roaring from the depth of your being. Something in him went, You really need to feel this now. At this point, we could have a little kind of drama thing and all of us go <clears throat> no maybe not uh, it just just don't look like the kind of people who would enjoy that and join in um, <laughs> but somewhere in Jesus he went <clears throat> and the next thing he says is I am willing and various bible scholars have said I think that means he was indignant rather than he was just sympathetic or compassionate. There's something about this where hearing a man say, if you're willing, made him go, no, I am willing. This whole theological idea that God sometimes wills you to be well and sometimes he thinks it's a really good idea for you to be really sick so that you can learn something is wrong. It's wrong enough for God to be upset about it when you you say, Lord, if you're willing, help me. And he's going, oh, I am willing. It's just, it's complicated. See, God has a basic problem that although he has an awful lot of power, you know, you know the Old Testament thing, it says almighty, almighty, God almighty, God almighty. It's never actually God almighty. The actual text is God of armies. In other words, he has lots of power. The problem with the word almighty is we get the impression that he can do anything. God can't do anything. Partly because if he does one thing, he can't do the opposite of the one thing at the same time as the one thing. Did you follow that? You can't do two things at the same time. You can't give people freedom and non-freedom at the same time. You can't do it. You can't make human beings autonomous and in the image of God and then say that they're robots because they aren't. Because the two things are contradictory and God being something which, and some being that doesn't in way, any way contradict because he's faithful, in the faithfulness and in his lovingness and in his goodness, can't do some stuff. And you go, what do you mean he can't do? God can't sin. It says that in the text. So there's something he can't do. If he can't do it, it's not because he can't do it in the sense of power, it's just he can't do it because it doesn't make sense anymore. The two things don't work together. Does that make sense? And therefore, God has a problem. For example, in the Old Testament, there's a chap called Job. And Job's sick, and the devil has made him sick. But before the devil makes him sick, the devil comes to God and says, look at Job. You are looking after him and giving him a fantastic life. Of course he's going to worship you. And God says, yes, absolutely. Well, actually, God mentions it, and then the devil mentions it, and they talk to each other about it. And then the devil says, if he wasn't always well, if all his stuff didn't always go well, he would curse you. 
Now, if I was God and I had a committee meeting where I had the devil in the room saying that, I would have said, let's just kill you, devil. Bang. I don't want the argument. I don't want to need the difficulty. I don't need to have a discussion about this with you. I know Job. I love him. Job has been fantastic. The problem for God is because he's loving and good and totally fair, the actual argument the devil had was reasonable. You can buy someone's love. Maybe it is true that the only reason that Job was worshipping God was because he had a fantastic life and fantastic family and fantastic wealth and fantastic health. Maybe that is the case. So God has to take a step back and say, let's see if you're right. And Job has a pretty horrendous time. And even at the end of it, God cannot tell him that it's the devil that did it. Even at the end of the story, when God turns up and gives uh, Job massive revelation of how wonderful God is, the argument is, trust me. Trust me. Trust that I am still the one who was your God before all this stuff happened. Trust me that I made all this amazing creation. Trust the person that I am, the being that I am, the being that you know that I am. At which Job says, okay, I trust you. And then the devil's power is broken. The reason the devil's power is broken in that moment is because Job trusted God, even when God didn't explain to him that it was the devil that did it. That's the reason. And it breaks the supernatural power of the devil in the committee meeting with God. No longer has he got the right because he's been proved to be wrong because Job stayed faithful. That's why. In other words, a massive victory at a committee level in the supernatural hierarchy was defeated where God's goodness and love was proved to be true. Not by God going, bang, I'm bigger than you, but by not saying I'm bigger than you, being loving, giving freedom, giving autonomy, giving other people the right to speak, and still winning the argument. Now, that's quite a complicated piece of theology. But what that means is that when somebody stands in front of Jesus, God become a human being and says, if you were willing... If you want me to be well, you could make me well. God goes, ah! I am willing. I want you to be well. I'm your father. I love you. I'm good. It's just a bit complicated sometimes. More complicated than you can possibly understand. And then Jesus does healing in the most interesting way. First thing he does, he walks towards somebody who's deeply infectious and touches him. And all the apostles would have been thinking this. If you do that, you get unwell. Or you give yourself a statistical chance of becoming unwell, is how it would be put today. But Jesus has got the life of God in him. And when you have the life of God in you, you can step forward. And instead of infectious disease coming towards you, infectious undisease or health goes away from you into the other person. Whoever heard of infectious health? 
That's ridiculous. We all know that if you take a dirty cloth and a clean cloth and rub them together, you'll get two dirty cloths. Imagine, though, if you're Jesus and you are the clean cloth and you rub against the other one and both become clean. It's like the ultimate antibacterial gel. He touches him and then says, be clean. It's actually only one word in Greek. It's just a command word. Clean! And the man's leprosy falls off him and he's instantly healed. And then Jesus, now you'd have thought that the man after that would always do what Jesus told him to do. One of the basic problems with healing is this, that people who get healed don't always obey Jesus. Have you noticed that? That includes you and me, doesn't it? But it also includes a lot of people. Loads of people get healed and get prayed for. Particularly today, there are loads of people being healed by Christians praying for them, and then they don't go on to obey Jesus. This chap was told by Jesus, don't talk about it. I'm not doing healing to get advertising. Note, don't talk about it. So what did the man do? Talk about it. Ray. Well done him. So that changed the subject. So almost everybody who was coming to Jesus was coming to be healed, not to learn about the kingdom of God, which was quite annoying for Jesus. So he had to go out into the, uh, out into the countryside because you know, Jesus' big problem is he had too many crowds, the kind of problem we have here at Milford Baptist Church. This is one of, I think it's a, a fundamental story. God is willing to heal. Let me put this in another context. Uh, my son uh, was born prematurely. In fact, all my children were born prematurely, but my last one was only bought, born six weeks early, so she was fine, but my son was born uh, about 26 weeks, quite tiny. Uh, he made it out of hospital after three months, and, but still had weak lungs. And then he caught a, a virus that's pretty prevalent at the moment, which is called RSV, and a really nasty virus. We hadn't really been told that you should avoid it, so we'd let him be cuddled by people with coughs and things like that, which was very stupid of us. Because one of the basic things about the Bible is it does say that God doesn't desperately want to go around healing you for things that you shouldn't have got yourself in the first place. And, and you might say, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, because one of the temptations that Jesus had was to stand on the pinnacle of a temple and then jump off it. The devil said, if you jump off it, it says in the scripture that the Father will protect you by sending you angels to make sure you don't even stub your toe. So if you jump off the pinnacle of the tem temple, so you're standing in the middle of Jerusalem here and the very top of and lots of crowds down there. If you jump off the top, on the way down, the Father loves you so much, he'll save you and you will float down into the middle of the crowd, and you will be famous from that moment on. Because you can imagine he would be, wouldn't he? And Jesus says, don't, you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God, and doesn't do it. Therefore, it is not right to throw yourself off Beachy Head, and halfway down say, please God save me, and be surprised that he doesn't. It is better to not get sick if you can possibly help it. Preventative medicine is a good idea. But... If you do, God doesn't want any of us to suffer any more than a good, loving father wants their child to suffer. So my son got this RSV bronchitis back into hospital for six weeks of intensive care. And uh, the, 
there was a point where my, um, the, my wife and I kind of had faith and we got lots of people praying and we were told by one doctor it was no big deal. And then my son had to be taken off oxygen and put on nitric oxygen and other oxygens and various other things, the intensive care and ventilators, and then we had an oscillator. And then we had this meeting with the doctor say, we've tried pretty much everything and we've run out of road and you need to face it that this, your son, uh, the best thing we can do for him is to make him comfortable while he dies. And that was a few days before Christmas in 2001. And there was a, a very interesting man, uh, one of the, the best nurse in the hospital, came to us and said, I'm looking after your son tonight. Uh, and this was, uh, well, it was, it was uh, the day before Christmas Eve, what I call Christmas Adam, because it came the day before Eve. Um, you following me? Um, so anyway, Stephen was responsible overnight. So we went and prayed. Uh, we were given a place in the, the hospital hotel, and we prayed for my son that night. And the prayer we prayed was this one. God, Father, we know you're willing. We know that you love my son, Jack, far more than we do even. We know that you don't go around torturing small children in order to make their parents become better Christians. We know it's not like that. We know this is a fallen world, that the world, the flesh, the devil, the whole fallen brokenness of the world conspires against human beings. We don't know exactly what the forces are here apart from a virus. What we do know is that at the moment we're losing him. So, we want all of the supernatural world to know tonight that if Jack dies, it won't be you that did it, God. It won't be you that did it so that we'd learn something. It will be something which you're as upset as us about because you don't want anyone to perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth, all to come through. But we know it's complicated. We won't be blaming you afterwards. We'll be blaming everything else that's out there. So we got up in the morning. We weren't allowed to stay in the hospital overnight because they just thought we were too stressed. Came in at 7 o'clock in the morning. There was Stephen. He turned around, walked towards us, and tears in his eyes, not many nurses have them, he said, I'm so sorry I've tried my hardest. And Jack was much worse. And uh, that day we had a series of meetings which were basically ended up with, let's start organizing the funeral. So we're now on Christmas Eve. And we then went home on Christmas Eve because we had a daughter at home who was going to need Christmas morning. And when we got to Christmas morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, we were sitting downstairs pretending that we were trying to do stockings uh, with her and uh, my parents-in-law, and someone said we should ring the hospital. So I rang the hospital. And there was a nurse, uh, not Stephen, another nurse, who said, oh, Mr. Anderson, lovely. I said, Jack's doing quite well this morning. At which we went, what? 
And they said, oh, it's a bit strange. He was on very low saturations in the middle of the night, and then about 2 o'clock in the morning, suddenly his saturations popped up. We're not quite sure why, but he seems a bit better. Um, when are you coming in? Most bizarre morning of our lives. Jack never got worse from that moment on. He, he, I can tell you, he didn't jump off the bed because he was on nitric oxide and various other really weird things and tubes coming out of him. But slowly over the next two and a half weeks, he got a little bit better, a little bit better. Then he came out of intensive care. Then he spent six months in hospital. And today he's at university. Um, I don't know exactly what happened, but I can tell you this, that when he came out of intensive care, one of the doctors said... This has been a very strange experience for me. She said, I decided to be an atheist after watching lots of people die. And my granny is not an atheist. She believes the same stuff you believe. Uh, but just before Christmas, I sent a message to my granny saying, please pray for this one. And I didn't have any hope, she said. But he's now a miracle. And I can't explain it. And I said, really? And she said, yes, well, look. We have an x-ray from two days before Christmas. We have an x-ray now. They couldn't be the same child. I'm sorry, it's impossible. So God does do stuff. But wouldn't it have been nice if four weeks earlier, when he first got ill, we could have just gone in and... We did. You know, we had people come in and lay hands on him and all sorts of other stuff, and him just get better. Wouldn't that be nice? <sighs> Would have been much less hard work. Wouldn't have that been nice? But healing and supernatural stuff isn't like that a lot of the time. I've been in lots of meetings since then when things have happened instantly. I remember saying at one meeting that I had this really painful arm. I don't, it doesn't happen to me all the time. I'm not weird. I'm just an ordinary Christian, right? So I was preaching and I had a really weirdly painful arm. And it was so painful that I kept trying to ignore it. And then I suddenly said, look, I'm really sorry, but I have a really painful arm. And I don't think it's mine. I think I'm feeling somebody else's painful arm. And in my mind, I had this idea of a religious woman. Now, being a kid who didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, I had no idea that Catholics thought a religious woman was a nun. So I happened to say, I think that possibly it's a religious woman. There was 2,000 people in the room in Liverpool at the time. And this woman at the back in full nun regalia, went, it's me, it's me. And well, she didn't, because she didn't wave her arm around. But uh, she came running down the front. We prayed for her, and she was instantly healed. Fantastic. When we prayed for her, we just said, Lord, we know that you've pointed this lady out. You want a healer, so please do, in the name of Jesus. And we stood there for a little while, and she said, it's easing, it's easing, it's easing. It's all going hot. And then she was better by the end of that. I have loads of other stories. Loads of other stories. Dan from our church in North London. He uh, got some temp high temperature, high temperature, high temperature, high temperature. Took him into hospital. They checked he had lymphoma. Doctor said it's bad, bad uh, prognosis. You've got lymphoma. It's not good. It's, you know, there are different kinds of lymphoma, but it was not a good one. And I tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, crumbs. Dan's going to die. In our church, and I'd love to preach about healing, but it's not so much fun when it's your friend who's ill. And I, I got scared and stayed in my office and prepared my talk for the next Sunday. 
And about three days into this process, where a number of people from the church had gone to see him, suddenly I, we got a phone call from his wife. And she rang and she said, um, can I talk to Hugo? Yes. So she's talking to me and she said, Hugo, please will you come and visit Dan? And I said, yes, of course. Because that's what you say, isn't it? I was thinking, oh. Please will you come and visit Dan? Because Dan has decided that God is going to heal him when you come. And I went, oh, great, well, I'll be there this afternoon. So I then put the phone down, and I, inside I was going, oh, God, he's decided I'm going to go and pray with him, and he's going to get better, and what's actually going to happen is I'm going to go and pray for him, and he's going to die. <laughs> oh, well, I'll do it anyway, because he's decided. So I got there, went into this room, and it just felt tense. And uh, eventually I told everybody to leave and said, Dan, what do you think? And he told me this whole thing of seeing a vision and Jesus saying to him that I was going to pray and then he was going to get better. And uh, so um, I said, Dan, I have no idea. I'm very happy to pray. I know God is willing because I've got that in the text. I know that there's a battle I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this, that you appear to have some revelation from God about how it's meant to happen. And I'm happy to say, as you believe, as you believe, as he believes God, let it happen. And he said, that's good enough for me. So I prayed that. And um, later in the afternoon, his temperature went down. They did tests. They kept him in hospital for five days, but couldn't find anything wrong with him from that moment on. And... Um, Hurrah. But do you know what the problem with that is? It's possible that in some circumstances, the key to getting healed is having faith. Because that means that sometimes we don't get healed because we don't have faith. Sorry. It's there in the Bible, too, quite a lot. Because they had faith, they suddenly saw... I don't mean faith, meaning faith that they would get healed. I mean faith in the sense of a connection with God, where God spoke to them and said, you're going to get healed by doing this and this and this. And then they did it, and then they got healed. That's not the same as believing. You know this thing about bowel movements? Well, there's a problem that some people think, I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith. That is called spiritual constipation. Right? That's not faith. Faith is a connection with God, relationship with God, knowing that he loves us and is good and knowing that he wants to talk to us and then doing whatever he says. That's faith. Now, I'm running out of time because you've got a church meeting and that always takes precedence over healing. Have you noticed? I'd like to say this, that part of what happens is to do with just God doing stuff. Part of what happens is we do stuff. And sometimes it works out. But God is willing. And that's the only thing I've got time really to say. What do we have to do? Well, things that help. Praying. I've discovered that prayers never get answered when they never get prayed. Did you follow that? Praise and worship seems to work. 
Uh, I, the first time I went to Spring Harvest, do you remember Spring Harvest? Anybody know what Spring Harvest is? Lots of people, Christians meeting at Butlins. Yes. The first day, nothing happens apart from lots of people feeling tired, but there's preaching and singing. By about the third day or the fourth day, lots of stuff starts happening. By the last day, all sorts of things happen. People get healed, all sorts of stuff. The same happens at New Wine, the same happens at Soul Survivor, well, it used to, all that kind of thing. The first couple of days, we're kind of not in the zone, but once we get in the zone of praising and worshipping, we build up a head of steam and God kind of flows upon it. And you sit there and say, was God not willing on the day one? No, God was willing on day one. It was us that was different by the day five. And when we're different and in a different place, not just us but as an individual, but us together, stuff happens. You sit there going, so we should do more of that. Yep. Holiness works. In other words, being good and godly. Not just being, not just being godly, because if you're just godly but not good, that doesn't work. Um, seriously, trying to be good works. People who don't spend their entire life sinning, on the whole, seem to see more healing and miracles happen around them, and God seems to be happier with them. And you sit there going, are you saying that God finds fault? No, God doesn't find fault. He's not interested in finding fault. He wants to send forgiveness and grace upon you. But if you go on sinning, in the end, bad things happen. That's how it works. That's how he set the world up. Perseverance works. Expectation works. Invocation works. That's inviting the Holy Spirit to come and giving God the glory, all that kind of stuff. It works. It doesn't work every time. It's not a method. I, there was one chap who seemed to see lots of people healed, and all the time he liked to talk about the stripes. Because it says this, that Jesus was whipped, and he had lines across his back, which are called the stripes. And then in, in uh, Isaiah, it says, by his stripes we are healed. And this particular chap said, it says, by his stripes we're healed. Concentrate on the whipped marks on the back of Jesus while he was being tortured before he was crucified. Concentrate on that. For him, he would talk about that all the time, and then he would pray for people. And for him, it released faith and released power and invoked the Holy Spirit. Other people concentrate in other places, but always somewhere in Scripture to concentrate and invoke the presence of God, and more happens then. Notice here that Jesus doesn't say, uh, I am willing... Father, please help this man. He says, I am willing, clean, which is a slightly different kind of prayer. I've met quite a lot of Christians who instead of going, please, Father, they've gone, be healed, and people have been healed. And I sit there and go, great, but they're doing it in the name of Jesus, but sometimes God works through us. The big word is cooperation. I think that the scripture teaches that God made human beings to be in cooperation with him in running the world and in releasing his power on the world. And if we will cooperate with him, he will do more. If we won't cooperate with him, he will do less. And I don't just mean us as individuals, I mean us together cooperating with him. More stuff happens. And we are, this morning, coming together to cooperate with him. Um, 
The other thing that you notice is that Jesus actually said to the apostles, he said, I'm going to send you out to heal, raise the dead, and cast out demons. So even if people have died, it's worth having a go. Don't you agree? Because it's in the Bible. It's a bit of a shock to some of us uh, to have the idea that we do it. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, you know, go out there, find sick people, and ask the Father to heal them. He says, go out there, find sick people, and heal them. In other words, you're cooperating with God. You won't be able to do it without God, I can assure you that, because you haven't got any power. But if you connect with God and walk with God and learn how to say the things he once said, to be his hands, his feet, then we'll be away. And one final thing. Some of the biggest healings I've seen in my life are not of physical illness. They are of people. And people are more complicated than just physical illness. I'm thinking of a family who were in debt, having had, had gone into negative equity and lost their house and everything like that. And we were praying for salvation over their lives. And God healed them. Uh, one of the people in the church felt that they should give them £10,000. They were £35,000 in debt. One of the people in the church felt they should give them £10,000. They came to me and I said, no, you shouldn't do that. It's a really stupid idea. They wasted the last lot of money. Why would they be benefit from it now? And they said, well, I just think God's told them to. So like all good church members of the churches that I've ever led, they took not the blindest notice of what I said. They went and gave them £10,000. In the next week, their bank gave them another £10,000 and the tax man got in touch and wrote off the rest of the debt. They were entirely liberated from debt within seven days of those people obeying what God told them to do. I don't, they weren't physically ill, but it changed their lives entirely. There's another thing which I want to do just before we do this, and that is to say this. This is a really interesting thing. Leviticus 14. That's obviously a passage which you've heard preached from many times. Leviticus 14, it says that when you've got somebody who's got a problem and you're a priest, you go to them and you give them blood first because blood cleanses them from sin. And obviously that represents something that connects through to Jesus, but it was well before Jesus. So since God is outside time, he needed them to do something symbolic in their time that would connect their time to his death. So that's why you do blood. And it, you know, that's why we do communion today. Anyway, where did they put the blood? They sprinkled it, and then they put it in really interesting places. They put it on the earlobe. They put it on a thumb. They put it on the big toe. And they put it on the head. And then it says, when you've done that with the blood, which represents, this is weird, isn't it? Are you happy with this? When you've done the, the thumb and the earlobe, and the big toe. Then come back when you've done the blood and take oil. Sprinkle some oil over them, and then put it on the earlobe, the thumb, the toe, and the head. I would like us today, when we pray for people, partly because of COVID times and all the rest, is just to put it in people's hands. Because it says in the text, the oil that's in the hand, take it and put it on the thumb. 
the earlobe, the big toe, and the head. And you're sitting there going, what on earth are you talking about, Hugo? I'm saying this, that God heals the way we listen, heals the things we touch and do, heals the places that we're going. He moves by, he, he wants to forgive us for the things where we've listened badly, done badly, gone badly, and thought badly. But he also wants us then to be touched by the Spirit in all of those areas, which transforms us. And because his Spirit comes on all of those areas of our life, we don't just get salvation in the sense of being healed, but it's like the word healing and salvation is all very similar in the text. Basically, we receive salvation in all of the areas of our life. It could be that what really matters in your life is not that you are physically healed of a particular ailment, but that you learn to listen. You learn to act. You learn to go. You learn to think in the ways you need to think. That might be the priority. That might heal your relationships. That might heal your family. That might heal your business. That might heal your future. That might make you even more healthy than physically being made healthy. Because we're complicated. Do you remember that at the beginning of the talk? It's actually complicated. The release of God's presence and power amongst us is complicated. To get it right, we have to hear from him all the time and work together with him and respond to each other and listen and act and work together which is why it is right that we should have a prayer, uh, members meeting after this. Ready? Okay. Who would like to have some oil put on their hand as a representative of the Holy Spirit, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, which they can then put wherever they need to put it? If there's a part of your body that physically is sick, then you can take it to put it there, or you can just leave it on your hand as a symbol. This represents the Holy Spirit that was given because it was paid for by the cross of Jesus Christ because God the Father loves us. And God will use this prayer and the prayer of the people praying for you. Who would like that? If you'd like that, then I'd like you to come forward. Uh, if you need a chair, then come forward and get a chair. We are all mortal. It may well be that, you know, within a certain number of years we will die. If you die, you haven't been healed. Note, right? Um, there are people at certain points of their life where God needs to prioritize one bit of healing over another, just like the NHS. Um, because that matters, because our mortality is dragging on. But I do believe this, that God is always willing to move in our lives, to bring his healing and his touch to every part of our lives. So we've got two bits of oil. So uh, we can use it here and we can put it over there. Um, how do you do stuff like this in this church on the whole? There's a few of you I know who prepare fragrance and stuff. Is that right? Or fragrance and stuff. Is that right? Fragrance and stuff prepare stuff. Okay. Right. So if you'd like to be prayed for, and then receive some oil in your hand, would you like to come down and come?
bring me to my knees. May I know Jesus more and more. Come live in me all my life. Take I want to tell you an, another story. Um, in India, where we work in India, there's a whole load of... Um, there's a church with 700 people now. When we first went, it was a couple of hundred. Uh, lots of the women who go to church, their husbands have alcohol problems and are not Christians. And are, so it's all Dalit, which is the untouchables. People have been crushed most of their lives. And uh, a... 
they had a call from God that they felt that God tell them to get some oil, mix it with water, and uh, pray over it together in church, and then give it to anybody who wanted it to take it to pray for their husbands. And um, so people left the church with little vials like that full of water with oil that had been prayed over. And um, the pastor, a chap called Kevin, we, we support about 300 children, the middle of a slum in the middle of Chennai. Pastor told them to, you know, when your husband's asleep, just put it on their head. Uh, the Christian women didn't do this. They put it in the food. They did all sorts of other things with this oil, which had been prayed over. And over the course of the next 12 months, about 20 men became Christians and got free from addiction, who this has happened to. And I'm sitting there going, oh, interesting. When you talk to the women, they all did slightly different things. Sometimes they specifically said to their husband, can I pour this on your hand? We've prayed over it and we want to bless you. Some put it in the food. Some did it very secretly. All sorts of odd things that they felt God tell them to do. What I love is the fact that God worked with them. He worked with them, cooperated with them. They cooperated with God and stuff happened. Good stuff happened. If you'd stood at the beginning of the year and said it will happen like this, no one would have known. But because they did and they cooperated with God, stuff happened. Good stuff happened. Every situation was different. Uh, but once we allow God to start moving, once we start praying, things happen. Once we cooperate with him. Just let's pray right now. Father, we ask you to touch those who we have prayed with. We don't know what you're doing exactly, but we can sense your presence in the room here now. And Lord, there are others who, even before they leave, need to have oil put on their hands, their ear, their thumb, their head. And I pray that before they leave, they would just come and take it if necessary. They would do what your Holy Spirit prompts. And because of that, there would be healing coming out from you into our lives and into this society in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So the service hasn't petered out quite like we intended, but it is now petered out. <laughs>